Welcome back to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. My name is Ty Jackson, and today, 76 Capital's managing partner, Wayne Kimmel, speaks with Scott Sosnick, editor-in-chief at Sportico, and Eben Novi-Williams, sports business reporter for Sportico. They talk all about the business of sports and share what's next. Hope you enjoy today's episode. Diamond Kinetics, the market leader in mobile technology for player development in the sports of baseball and softball. DK's revolutionary swing tracker, bat sensor, and pitch tracker smart ball provides hitting and throwing data to players, parents, coaches, and teams, helping them understand their performance, improve, and have more fun playing the game they love. Save 20% store-wide when you use code CAPITAL20 at diamondkinetics.com. That's 20% off using code CAPITAL20 at diamondkinetics.com. Improve your game today with Diamond Kinetics. Welcome back to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. My name is Wayne Kimmel, managing partner of 76 Capital, the sports tech venture capital company. On this show, I interview top sports entrepreneurs, athletes, and executives who are shaping and many times changing the sports industry. Today, we're going to talk sports business with Scott Soshnick, the editor-in-chief of Sportico, and Evan Novi-Williams, the sports business reporter for Sportico as well. Scott and Evan, welcome to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. Happy to be here, Wayne. Thanks for having us, Wayne. I mean, I would have preferred solo, but you dragged Evan along. <laughs> I mean, I'll do it, but you know, I generally like top feeling on the marquee and I'm sharing it. Well, I appreciate you guys both being on the show. It's great to have both of you. And you know, the thing is, is that I just love listening to your podcast and, and you're back and forth. I, I just had to have you together. All right, I'm going to jump in first because yeah, go ahead. I, I'm not going to. I'm not comparing. I don't want anybody to think I'm comparing ourselves to Wilbon and Kornheiser, but there's a reason why PTI works, right? It's not manufactured. Those guys had been sitting next to each other or near each other at the Washington Post for decades, doing exactly what they do on TV. Somebody just had the genius idea, hi Mark Shapiro, of putting a camera on them, right? Well, it's, I think on a smaller level, it's the same with us. Like what you hear on the show is what Eben and I have done for Eben. How many years? Help me. Yeah, 12 now or so. For 12 years, we have sat next to each other doing exactly this. I poke fun of him. He pokes fun of me. We talk issues of the day. We'll argue. So it's not manufactured. We're not trying to force anything. What you hear from us is what we do or have done for more than a decade. Yeah, wait, I'll give you a perfect example from yesterday. I feel like there is oftentimes Scott and I can finish each other's sentences, or I know I know what he's thinking. I know he think, knows what I'm thinking. Scott was telling me a story yesterday about, uh, and I won't get into all the details, but someone who had set up a rule for him and his employees and then was openly breaking the rule in front of everybody. And as Scott was telling the story, I jumped in and said, oh, did you give him the Sun Tzu speech? And Scott was like, I did. I, that's exactly right. I gave him the speech about how the general can't, can't have a different set of rules than the, than the soldier serving underneath him. Uh, yeah. I think there's often times where I just, I think we know exactly where each other's going and that makes the show and makes the podcast a bit more compelling. 
Well, I think you know the reason why Tony, um, you know, and 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 Wilbon got together and did that show was because of all those years when when they were still at the Washington Post and I was at the University of Maryland and I was a student and we were in the press box together eating Maryland crab soup and they were giving me advice on life and what I should go do and they were just two newspaper reporters at the time. But you, you never you never know where all that goes. You know, look, we're sitting here right now. It's it's the same day that finally Tom Brady officially um, talked about his on his own, in his own words his his retirement. And you know, you think about all the the impact that he's had on the sports world, the sports business as a player. What do you think he's going to do when he retires, and what kind of impact do you think he's going to continue to have as a, as a retired player? Go ahead, Evan. I mean, I, I never thought I'd see the day, Wayne. I, I thought Tom Brady was going to be playing until he was 65. Uh, but but I, there, there's no question he seems to be dedicated to his his own brand, TB12, and, and whatever that means moving forward. The, the ironic thing about that, I think, is that there's been no better marketing for TB12 than the fact that Tom was in his mid to late 40s and still playing NFL football. The idea that he was selling a, an alternative way of keeping your body spry for longer in life, uh, he was the living and breathing embodiment of, of that working. I do, I'm kind of curious to see what, how that changes, if it changes, now that the main pitch man is no longer one of the oldest, most successful quarterbacks in the NFL, but is just a retired quarterback. Uh, but we have certainly not seen the end of Tom uh, around the NFL. He, he seems to love the game too much. Um, he's given too much to it, and he's too famous. He's too much of a brand around the NFL to have him ride off into the sunset. And we've seen in the media side, real quick, that we've seen that there's a, a, a really nice, vibrant uh, economy out there for quarterbacks like Tony Romo or the, the Manning brothers or Drew Brees. If they do want to make the transition into media, I'm not sure if that is what Tom wants to do in his future, but if he wants to, I'm sure he will be, uh, I'm sure he will dedicate himself to it, and I'm sure he'll be great at it. Evan, I have an idea for our next show. There's pardon the interruption. And I was thinking about, you just mentioned TB12. We were in Boston recently for an event and we're walking to the venue from our hotel and there was the TB12 store. So for me, it'll be pardon my ignorance. Like that can be our show. Pardon my ignorance. <laughs> I didn't know this existed. I didn't know. And then by the way, to have it in the heart of Boston, I'm like, you know, he left, he plays for Tampa. So they have one by Gillette out in Foxborough, one downtown, and then one in, in Tampa. So of course it's, what was it about eight, eight fifteen AM. I'm like, I got to go check this out. What is the TB 12 store in Boston? The upper level has some merch. They had a smoothie bar and then downstairs was the PT. People were going there for physical therapy. So you understand where the Tom Brady brand is going. And then, of course, you've got the crypto eyes on his Twitter avatar. I don't think any of us believe crypto is going anywhere. You know, yes, up and down, but we'll see. We don't think it's a fad. It's here to stay. And Tom and Candy um, and Michael Rubin are clearly going to be a force in determining uh, what happens in the crypto space in terms of athletes and that, that sort of that consumer focused environment. I think that's an interesting point, and you know what you guys you guys look to to do at Sportico. I mean, I, I took this directly off of your your website, right? It says Sportico delivers breaking headlines and analysis, championing the innovation and creativity that will change not only the business of sports but the world. When you talk about that, what do you mean changing the business of sports and the world? All right, well, I'll jump in in that. I'm going to go back to my rabbi, David Stern. And Wayne, you, you, you know David, and some people are tired of me talking about David Stern stories. Well, that's tough because the man was so impactful, had a great impact on me. 
to have the ability after board of governors meetings, David would say to me, I'm tired. Here, come on, you know, come on back to the room, you know, and and we'll talk about issues of the day and what happened. And, and the ability to just sit and talk with David, you, you understand that the slogan basketball without borders, it wasn't just a slogan. It was reality. There are no more borders. Everything is global. Tech has shrunk the living room. So whether you're dealing with the, the game itself or all of the ancillary revenue streams, whether it's tech, real estate, media, finance, there's a globality to it now. So whether it's the athletes, the owners, um, their, their side businesses, you're touching everyone. Uh, Eben, do you you know where I'm going to go with this one if I tell a David Stern story? And is, it, is it Tim Bhutan? Tim Bhutan. Go ahead, Eben. You Nailed finished it. The story. <laughs> I, this is, he told it to me, but Eben knows where I'm going. Perfectly illustrating that we know what each other's thinking. Yeah, it's funny. This was not a story that was told to me. I feel like I can even picture David Stern sitting there telling me the story, even though I, I never heard it. But I know that at, at one point, uh, David was in Timpu, Bhutan, which I assume is the capital, Scott. I have no idea. I can't name another uh, city in Bhutan. Yeah, a little, little one-stop-like um, town is how David described it. And he was in, uh, he was, it was an internet cafe, right? And and, yep. he, and he was kind of walking by or walking through the cafe, and he saw people in the internet cafe looking up uh, NBA highlights, watching NBA games, and realized, oh, I'm in the, I'm in the far reaches of a really different distant corner of the world and the people here are, are, are doing what they can do to to get their hands on nba content and it yeah. sounds like that was kind of his first it, it was major, a redefining moment for him that yeah. there was a kid and he looked over his shoulder the kid was on the kobe bryant page and he knew at that moment that something was about to change and david directed the nba at that moment everything was then wrap your arms you know david brings guest speakers into uh, his board of governors meetings, who people the owners would like to hear from, things that can, people who he thinks can influence their business. And years, I mean, I don't remember how many years ago, but he brought in Thomas Friedman when he had written the book, The World is Flat. He wanted his, his owners to understand the concept of forget borders. There's one marketplace out there and we need to get our content, our touch points to every single person, no matter where they reside in the world. So how does that, you know, pertain specifically to you guys? I mean, you started Sportico in 2020, both were at Bloomberg for a number of years and then decided to start your own thing. It, you started in 2020 in, in the middle of, of a pandemic. I mean, talk about how that went, how that went down and how, how it kind of how your plans, I'm sure, had, had a change in a big way. Yeah, you would think that perhaps that COVID would have delayed plans. It actually accelerated ours. We, we believed, and when I say we, I mean, I'm including Evan in that and Jay Penske, um, of course, founder of Penske Media, our parent company. Uh, we believed that there was a real opportunity at the time because all of those sports fans, all of the eyes that usually searched out games, it was gone. Like, there was nothing there. What better time? I told you she'd walk through. What better time to highlight the business of sport when that was all there was? I mean, we were writing about insurance and force majeure. I mean, we had a captive audience around the world because there were no games. So if there's nothing, if the, if the athletes aren't playing, there's a real chance and a real opportunity to tell the stories that were pertinent to the business 
of the sports world at that time. So we accelerated everything. You know, I, I went out to hire as many people as I could as quickly as I could. And target number one for me, of course, was the guy sitting next to me because he's as good as it gets. When better to launch a sports business publication than in the middle of the biggest sports business story that we'll probably ever see, right? Which is which is COVID, and we're still seeing, I think, the far-reaching effects of how this is going to permanently change the industry. Wayne, you know the sports betting world really well. I think the sports betting industry uh, it looks very different now because. COVID happened. I think that that is an area where, and, and I would say the same for the burgeoning crypto world that it seems to have taken over a lot of the, the, the sports advertising airwaves and, 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 and sponsorship space. There's so much about this industry that changed fundamentally uh, in, in, in the one month or sorry, one year where there were no, uh, no fans in stadiums and a lot of games were shut down. And I think Scott's right. I mean, that, that became the perfect time to launch a new publication aimed at explaining why all these things were happening, why therefore, Forcing games into the bubble, right? Because media is all that all that these people care about from a, from a money standpoint. There was a lot that could be explained about the way that sports was changing, uh, just by ex- explaining the business side of things. And I think that was one of the one of the things we did really well right off the bat. One of the things you like, Wayne. One of the things I like to do every now and then. I don't do it every day because there's so much data and analytics at our fingertips that I try not to use too many of the tools because I think you can get lost in it instead of just focusing sort of on the macro. And when I deal with folks like Jessica Gelman over at Kager or the folks at Elevate, you know, taking the data is one thing, synthesizing it in a cogent manner is another. So I don't want to get too crazy because I can really get, get caught up. But I do every now and then like to look at our global heat map in Google Analytics. And of course, if we write something about Indian cricket or a particular athlete, we usually get pretty hot all over the U.S. all the time. We are primarily at, at this time U.S. U.S. focused, but not all the time. So whether it's a particular athlete or team or investment, hey, look today we are we're red hot in India, we're red hot in China, we're red hot in Turkey. So it's just that casual reminder that our audience is not limited to the five boroughs of New York. It is not Los Angeles just because LeBron is playing for the Lakers. Our audience really could be anywhere, and we try it could to be Timpu Bhutan. Timpu Bhutan, you know, there's some there's some kid in Timpu Bhutan who wants to know why did Crypto.com spend X to put their name on what used to be Staples Center? You know, what's the thesis there? Because that kid is a LeBron fan or a Lakers fan because of Kobe, because of Shaq, because of Kareem, because of Magic, right? So uh, we always try and remember that in everything we do. Well, you know, one of the big things you, you talk about, and you've you've, meant, you've dropped a number of names already, and these are not just you're not just dropping names. You, the two of you, have unbelievable relationships within the sports industry, and I think that's one of the things that your readers and and listeners really get because you're not just like saying David Stern, you know, David's, so you knew David Stern. You're not saying Michael Rubin, you know, Michael Rubin, right? What is how important is that to your business and how, to the overall building of, of Sportico, the relationships that you've been able to you know, build all over the years within the sports industry? I preach to the staff, to everybody, the relationships are everything. We do not, or I do not, I've never looked at any one story as meaning anything to me. I'm in this for the long haul. I've been doing it 30 years. I'm going to be doing it for another 30. Um, This really, the industry is made up of people. They're fascinating. If you don't like people, 
then don't go into this. <laughs> you know, it, it, it means everything to us. And, and I want to talk to people when I don't need something from them. Like I'm, I'm always talking to the folks in my Rolodex. Sorry to use an old school term. A kid may not know what a Rolodex is, right? You know, that really was a thing. Um, wait, did you ever flip through one on your desk? Like, you, you know? Uh, of course. We're, one we're of my, the old guys here. Evan's yeah, the young guy. Yeah, I, you know, I've never had a Rolodex is here. Now this, one of our old editors, hello to Larry Siddons. Larry For Siddons. those of you out there, Larry had the old school Rolodex, and he had cards with, like, numbers scratched out 100 times, you know, flipped over to the other side. But that that just spoke to his tenure in the industry, the relationships that, that he had created. I used to be a general journalist hanging out in locker rooms, athletes writing about games. I pivoted pretty quickly. When I was an intern at WFAN, the sports radio station in New York, it took me about six months to realize I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I thought I did, but I, I pivoted really quickly and said, you know what? I don't care about the backup tight end and which team's going to win and why. And I pivoted to Bloomberg at the time. I was interested in the business of it all. And the, the, the personalities, the egos, the eccentricities that are in board meetings are equally, if not exceedingly higher than what's in a locker room. I just don't think people get that. These are fascinating people to talk to and to bounce ideas off of. So I never forget. For me, it is always about the people and the relationships. So how about the people? I mean, you know, today's people who own teams are different than the people that own teams years ago. Today's players are different than yesterday's players. Um, they think about different things. They look at the game differently. They think about technology differently. They, the world of crypto and the metaverse and NFTs and all these things that were, quite frankly are, would fly over the heads of the owners and, and players of the past are on the tips of the tongues of, of today's owners and players, and they totally understand what's happening and what's next. How does, you know, when you, when you report on the industry and you get the opportunity to talk with the players and the owners today, what is that, how, what has that change been like to see them, how they're thinking about their, the business of, of sports so differently than they used to? I think the easiest way to see that is is look at how the NBA's business has changed in the past 15 years as the makeup, as you say, Wayne, as the makeup of owners has changed, has changed. And we've had groups like Tom Gores. We have Wes Edens. We have Joe Lacob. We have uh, Mark Lazary. The, the makeup of NBA owners has changed and exactly the things that you're talking about have happened. The league has embraced new media strategies. It's embraced crypto. It's in, it's embraced uh, NBA top shot and NFTs. Uh, I think you see kind of in the, in the direction, direction that leagues are going, particularly the NBA, because I think that this new class of, of younger owners has really infiltrated the NBA in a way that it hasn't yet uh, in a lot of other leagues. But I think you see that change happening. And, and I think it's one of the reasons why the NBA gets a lot of praise. Adam gets a lot of praise for being more proactive, for being more progressive, for being willing to try things business-wise that other leagues are not trying to do. I think that's largely because when he sits at owners meetings, he's looking around, around the table at 32 people, a lot of whom are private equity people or are, you know, Silicon Valley CEOs and chairmen, people like that, that are thinking about the world a little bit differently. I, I really think that when you look at the difference between, say, the NBA and the NFL, one of the massive differences in strategy comes just from the fact that the makeup of the people that are sitting in those owners meetings are fundamentally different in the NBA than it is in the NFL. 
Yeah, I mean, you left off like Josh Harris. You know, these are platform companies now. They're they're not mom and pop. And all right, I said mom and pop. I've been where am I going? <laughs> the Simpsons. I'm going to the Simpsons, right? Yeah. So here we go. Great. <laughs> One of my favorite episodes, Wayne, in the Simpsons, sort of. And this is pre-sports, but really for me gives you a nice picture of where the sports industry now is like Homer's walking into the hardware store and there's a giant sign that says mom and pop hardware, you know, gigantic. And as he walks in, there's a little, little sign next to the door that says, now, should I say it the right way or the wrong yeah, way? I was going to say, say, say it the right way. Uh, see if I got it wrong for way. a long time. I've always told the story the way I remembered it, Wayne, in that it said, so you have mom and pop hardware in giant letters. And then in a tiny little plaque, it said, a division of Global Dominance, Inc. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, and I think it's like, what was it? Global Dynamics? Dynamic. Yeah, Global yeah. Dynamics, Inc. was the actual, but I like better Global Dominance. But the point is the same that there are these huge umbrella companies. It's not the mom and pop organization. I know we like to think of the Green Bay Packers as this fan owned mom and pop, the folks own the team. I, you know, if I can, if I can in my tenure before I'm done dispel the myth or the notion that these are just little mom and pop business that, that are there for the fan, I will think, well, I would have, not that I have the goal of destroying it. It's just, if you're accurately reporting on the industry and what these teams are and how they operate, folks will have to wake up to the notion that these are mega platform global companies. That's all. Doing this job has, has essentially ruined all of the fandom inside me. <laughs> I don't think I've worn a sports jersey in, in 10 years, and I don't think I probably ever will again. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right, I think. I, I'm going to be here. Here's one, here's one of my favorites, and I'm not going to name the team because I don't want to embarrass or, or, or get anybody angry at me here. But one particular stadium that I was at recently, they have sort of a, one of those uh, jumbotron things when the stoppage of play, right? And in essence, it's a fan trying to guess the price of certain pieces of merchandise. And I was lucky, I was sitting right in front of the CEO. And, <laughs> and like the t-shirt, the person's like, ooh, $25. Oh, wrong. 55. <laughs> like the sweatshirt, uh, $50. Oh, $95. And this, and I looked at the CEO, I turned around and I looked and I, before I could say anything, this person was like, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make us look good. So, I mean, experiences like that, like that's what I'm trying to communicate like to, to the world, really, really educate people on how these businesses operate. Nerd Street is a national network of esports facilities, content, and events dedicated to powering competitive opportunities for gamers. The company provides opportunities for gamers of all ages and skill levels to participate in esports tournaments, camps, private events, and more for a wide variety of video games. Learn more at nerdstreet.com. That's nerdstreet.com. You guys have been really um, and really kind of on the forefront when it comes to sports betting. Uh, you've been following it. You've been, you know, you cover it. You talk to all the people within the industry. What has that been like? You know, where it's 
where it was something that was completely, you were completely against it for, as a league, as a team. You weren't even allowed to step, step, you know, set foot into a, a sports book or a casino. And now they're partners and they're our best friends and they're our biggest, you know, revenue drivers. What has that been like? And have there been any experiences that you've had with, with team owners or executives that you've talked to them where they've had to really just do this 180 and they've, they've shared those stories with you? Right, hey, hey, Evan, let, let me just chime in first, even though, and I will say here, Evan's the smartest person in the industry in the space here. He's the guy, you know, he, he's the best, but I will set it up with one little anecdote again, David Stern. So I don't remember which meeting it was where it came up and people were talking about, I don't know, the Maloofs or Vegas or that, whatever it was. And David had just addressed the media. And then he, one of those moments again, where it was just he and I, and maybe Russ Granick standing there. And David says, you know, do, do people really think this is like for us, it's this taboo, like this social more. He's like, he's like, you know why we haven't jumped into sports betting and gambling because there isn't enough money there yet. The minute there's enough money, we'll be there. It was that simple for David. It, it really was. It was that simple. Now we see the kind of numbers we're talking about. And David was around to see that transition. And presto, poof, here we are. Evan, now you take it away because he knows everybody in the industry. He has seen it from, from the front lines way, way more than I have. I think if you if you just back up a little bit more to daily fantasy and kind of think about this as one kind of 10-year industrial period, I can't think of an industry that has gone through more boom, bust, up, down in such a short amount of time. And and I, I think back to maybe 2015 and 16 in the daily fantasy era, they, when DraftKings and FanDuel were spending like crazy, they were advertising everywhere. There were DraftKings investors that told me, look, this is, this is all temporary. The goal here is sports betting. We think it's going to happen sooner than later. Um, and everything we're doing right now is just setting up for that. Um, and that was a gamble, pun intended, uh, that that paid off for them. And I do wonder how different this conversation would be if the Supreme Court had made the decision it did two years later or, or three years later, right? That This came at a time in, in, in kind of the, the bare moments of, of daily fantasy when there were questions about the, the FanDuel and DraftKings future. Had they spent too much? The merger wasn't going to happen. What did it mean for, for them? Everything kind of fell into place. And now there's a it's kind of like a rocket ship up until maybe the last eight or nine months when when at least in the public markets, things have changed. I can't think of certainly not an industry that I've covered that has moved kind of so quickly into these boom and bust phases. And honestly, I'm not even sure what the, what the I don't know if we're in a boom or a bust right now. There's arguments, I think, uh, for it to be both. But there's no question that the sports gambling stuff has been, I think, probably the most fascinating corner of our industry in the past three years. And I don't expect that to change anytime soon. If you're looking at the stock prices, I think we'd have to say bust. <laughs> you know, but sure. Yeah. But the spending is still up. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. And, but wait, here, here's a perfect example, though. I think of what we talked about in, in the relationships and the people business. I don't even know how many years ago a guy by the name of Chris Dugan sent an email from Genius Sports, you know, and said, just wanted to introduce myself. Never heard of Chris, never heard of Genius Sports, didn't know a thing about him. But we said, hey, like, I don't know, maybe it's just my nature, Eben's nature. He's the same way. We're curious, number one. And if, if we can be helpful, we'll be helpful. Sure. Like, why? So, sure, Chris, come on over. Let's talk. Let's see what you happy to introduce him to some people. He was a very nice guy. Introduced him to some people, see if we could help him out. Use our connections to help somebody else who was working hard on his own behalf. 
And, you know, now, now I think we know who Genius Sports is, right? You, you, you did. And then they, they asked us, again, I have no, no idea how many years ago this was. But they said, hey, we're putting together an event on Capitol Hill. Would you please come moderate a talk? Like, sure, happy to do it. Why not? And look, look now where we are. Look where, look where Genius Sports is, you know, one of the leaders in the industry alongside Sport Radar. So, I mean, if, if I, and Eben, if we don't take that call, if we don't say come out of the office and say hello, if we don't reach out to try and help, who knows? But that's, and now Chris is a friend. And I, and I mean that. Take, take the work out of it. I know about his kids. Uh, I, I know what's going on in his life. I know about the company. I know he's a friend. So that's sort of, I think, a good illustration of what you had talked on earlier, how we go about our business. Well, I think it's an extremely important. I mean, and, and are there other examples of and other maybe executives on the team side or on the league side that you know, you've you've talked to that have now gone from you know, almost like hot to cold, you know, or, or basically cold to hot, basically within the sports world or the sports betting world, where you now, you know, where they're this is this is all they all they're talking about, and you know, once it was once a thing where like, oh my God, I can't, I we can't talk about this anymore. Every commissioner, I think you can make that that argument about it, and it, maybe at least publicly. Um, it's been amazing to watch. And, and I'll just as an example, the NCAA, the way that college sports has, has shifted on this topic. And to be clear, they've shifted in the same way that everybody else else has. Right. This, the, when the Supreme Court ruled, struck down the, 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 the national ban on sports betting, that was a lawsuit that was being argued by all of the major leagues and the NCAA. I think people kind of forget that, that the reason we got here is because all these leagues were fighting this for so long in court. Um, but the, the, the NCAA to go from this being kind of the, the doom of uh, the, the end of the integrity of their sports to now colleges that are partnering with sports books. I'm sure there's going to be an NCAA partner at some point, my guess relatively soon, they already have data deals in place. It would not shock me to see a college athlete have an NIL deal in, in, in the probably immediate future with a sports betting company. Uh, all those lines are coming down. So, so Wayne, yeah, I think in, in, in private, a lot of these people, and sometimes publicly, if you take Ted Leonsis as an example, so, some of these owners were publicly talking about the benefits here. But what David Stern told Scott is exactly right. That, that publicly it was, we don't want this, we don't want this, while privately they were realizing, oh, there is, there's billions, literally with a B, billions to be had here if we do it right. Um, and, and kind of one of the, I think, a, an undertold part of, of the evolution of U.S. sports betting is the way in which, and you know this, Wayne, the way in which teams and leagues have, have tried to kind of siphon their cutoff, right? There was the, the, the whole debate about integrity fees and, and trying to get states to, to essentially mandate that uh, a cut of the handle that was wagered on their sports go back to the leagues. That didn't seem to work. It wasn't palatable for, for, for local lawmakers, but through these data deals, the teams have figured out a, a, a way to do that in that there's they're not allowed to access operators are not allowed to access data unless they have a commercial deal with the with the league itself right so the league is getting a cut via that some of these deals also include uh, share of gross gaming revenue. There's a lot of ways, really smart and savvy ways in which the, the big leagues in particular have figured out a way to kind of set this industry up in a way that is giving them really, really good economics. Yeah, and let's not forget, I've been like the, the, my favorite part of this whole thing. It's not the, the old, let's just put our toe in the water. You pay us some money. You can put, <clears throat> excuse me, put your signage around, you know, the arena. But 
they're taking equity positions in these companies. And yeah. that is a sea change, right? There's the, that tells you the strategy. Yeah, we'll take the money now. But we see the value creation and the growth of the entity, of these publicly traded entities now. They're taking equity positions. They are the house. <laughs> Think about where that is from before. And to, sh- and to show how, how much this industry has shifted, right? I, I won't say the league, but I know of a league, not a big five, a big big four league, but, but something right below that, where they did a daily fantasy deal with DraftKings back in 2015. They wanted equity. DraftKings wouldn't give it to them. Flash forward two or three years in, in kind of the bare times of daily fantasy, DraftKings wanted to renew their deal, wanted to give them equity. They were like, mm, actually, maybe we don't want equity. Now, fast forward three more years, they have a new deal with DraftKings. They want equity again. DraftKings isn't giving equity now. So it, it just kind of shows, I think, the way in which the opinions of these companies, the futures of these companies, and the way that sports leagues have thought about things like equity, thought about things like partnerships, has changed kind of drastically in, in each like three or even two year cycle. Today's 76 Capital Sportico business lesson, always take equity, brought to you by... <laughs> by Michael Rubin. <laughs> by Michael Rubin, yeah. Well, you know, as, as, as again, as, as we wrap up, I, one of the last thing I want to ask you guys is really about thinking about what's next. And you guys write about that. You you talk to the to the visionaries in the in the industry, the entrepreneurs themselves, the owners, the, uh, the commissioners of the leagues. You know, are there certain things that... Scott, you were mentioning earlier, you know, David Stern was talking about, you know, sports betting before it was it was legal. Are there certain things that are being, you know, discussed quietly in the in the halls today or in the, you know, in the offices of some of these teams that are like, this is kind of the the next thing. I mean, I'm not sure what what, you know, there's there's so much that has come out. I mean, the fact that you've got all the things that are now happening, whether private equity in business, you've got NIL you know, yeah. situation. I mean, there's so much that's out there today. What's kind of like you're hearing that's next? What I'm hearing in these conversations with owners, what they would like to know more about, even the folks who know a lot about it, they still want to hear from the, the dominant voices in crypto and, and, and NFT they want to know about health and wellness. They want to know about the creator economy, particularly as it pertains to reaching younger customers. Notice I didn't say viewers because they're viewed as customers. It's younger customers. And Eben, if I'm talking about younger customers, where am I going? Uh, focus group of one. My focus group of one, <laughs> my 12-year-old son. Yeah, I mean, I watch him and I watch his pals and how they utilize the story I told recently, we were driving back from an ice hockey tournament. We have lots of hours in the car driving and it was during the NFL playoff games. And I mean, this showed the divide. I was trying to show my son how to get to the AM on the radio so we could listen to the game. And oh, and maybe it was even on like, you know, an FM station. What do I know? And how, what was his thought process? He's like, dad, I'm sure somebody on TikTok is streaming the game. And within 60 seconds, he was watching the game live on a TikTok stream with another 15-year-old, by the way, and his teammates. So they're talking about it socially. And I love the fact that the kid who was streaming the game then put out a poll question to people watching. Is my commentary bothering you? Would you rather keep the commentary? I'll go with the group. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is what the sports leagues are trying to figure out. How do I reach these kids, these customers, and how do I separate them and their parents from their money? 
I'll add two things here, Wayne, one short term and one longer term. One, the I think one of the biggest sports business stories of the next six months is going to be the Denver Broncos sale. And publicly, I think a lot of people say, oh, the NFL's business is booming. This is a top 15 value NFL franchise. This is going to be the biggest sale in, in, in sports league history. Behind the scenes, a lot of people are wondering this is a really expensive team. It takes a lot of cash to buy a $4 billion NFL team, especially in the way that the NFL has built the ownership rules. And there are people out there wondering if this is going to be as vibrant, as competitive a sale process as a lot of people on the surface are thinking. So I think we're going to learn a lot in the next six months about one, who among the ultra, ultra, ultra rich wants to own an NFL team. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about the way in which franchise valuations are soaring and whether we could at some point hit a point where they are, NFL teams in particular are just too big to sell in the way that the NFL wants to sell them, which is to ideally a single human being that has all of the cash ready to go up front. Uh, so the, the, the Bronco sale is going to be a massive one for us and, and one in which I think that maybe the, uh, the largely the public discourse about how this is going to be a, a massive competitive thing with Jeff Bezos bidding against pick your other billionaire, Mark Zuckerberg, it, it may be not going to be as tidy as, as I think a lot of people think. And then second, Secondarily, moving a, a little bit longer term, I think college sports is in for a, a massive, and, I, and when I say massive, I mean even bigger than we've seen in the past year, a massive sea change from a business perspective. And, and you are already starting to hear those conversations behind the scenes at big athletic departments, in private equity firms here in New York and on the West Coast. There are people that realize that, that the NCAA is crumbling. The NCAA itself has been giving up a lot of its control with this new constitution in particular there is an opportunity to take the 20 to 30 biggest, wealthiest athletic departments, possibly privatize them, maybe just spin off football, do something that is more kind of structured like a standard professional league and really reap in the billions of dollars that media companies, fans, sponsors would pay to be associated with kind of a super league of sorts in college sports. I think the the, the, the progressive powers that be in within the NCAA system, and I I mean that presidents, athletic directors, I think a lot of them are coming to the realization now that, that we are probably two or three years away from some kind of employer-employee relationship. And if that's going to happen, I would not be shocked if it happens in a totally different structure than the NCAA and conference model that we have right now. See, now, Wayne, that was almost a perfect answer by Evan. See, this is our answer. <laughs> that was almost a perfect answer. B plus. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you a B plus because, Thank once you. again, you know, Evan not considering the finance side of this. You know, you have to tell the world, we have this great platform, Wayne is nice enough to have us on, and he doesn't say you can read all about it in the Sportico U newsletter, which is focused at that college group. We we really believe that the, the, the young folks who are in college, who are focusing on sports media, sports business, law, whatever it may be, we are right now and will continue to be an integral part of the community that we're trying to build. Like sports business is a community of thought, you know, just thought leadership. We want to put our arms around them now and say, come on and join us. We're going to tell these stories in a sophisticated way. We think you're ready for more than just sort of, you know, one scoop of vanilla ice cream. So that's the Sportico U newsletter growing by the day. Please come and join us. Come on, Evan. Man.
Next well, that, well, I'm, I'm happy you, you dropped that in there. It's important. It really is. I mean, we, we, you know, my team and I at 76 Capital really appreciate everything you've guys done have done. And I mean, when I just, it's amazing when SPAC started to come out. What did you guys do? You put the list out there, right? And, and you, you, it's just all the things that you've been able to do that are continue to help cover this industry yeah. to make it more. Um, so that, to that point, you know, Wayne, and, and I'll give Evan all the credit because he pushed it. Uh, and I know this is self-serving, but please go check out our financial database of, of the colleges. I mean, Evan has for years, and I'm, this is not hyperbole, for years has been singing the praises of putting this together. And he did it. Like, that's the beauty. He doesn't just talk about it. He does it. So, you know, we have a very easy, searchable, clickable, comparable database. You can look at two schools, any fiscal year you want, by sport, and, and see the breakdown. Of, of course, all the public universities who have to file. But we've had so much great response to that. Just putting it in nice, easy, usable fashion. We've had great response to our valuations and our data visualization. And we stress data viz here because it's important. Like people digest the information differently. Some want to read the story, some want to see the list, some love the data viz. So we try to kind of give it, give it the 360 treatment. Well, again, once again, so thank you so much for joining us on, on you know, and coming out on, on our show. Um, I can't wait to see you guys in person sometime soon. And you know, it's really, it's really exciting to see what's what's happened in the sports world. Love reading and and, and listening to and, and watching all the things that you guys are putting out there. Uh, we continue to want to want to help and support you guys. Anything we can do, please let us know. Um, and that's and, an easy one. Just buy more subscriptions, Wayne. Come on, I can I can answer that one easy. That's a, that's, that's a easy out there make sure we get more people out there for, for absolutely there's only so there much go. so many of us but i mean that's but that's what it's all about i mean look we, it's it's really about you know this is this is a, a great community that we all have within the sports business world um it's continuing to grow you're doing a good job of fostering that i mean the next generation that we always want to try to help and, and and let people know what's going on there's so much more information for them to now read and learn and you have it you have it there for them and there are more opportunities than ever and as we always say, there are more entrepreneurs out there. They're trying to truly do the next, next thing in the sports world. And we want to get behind them. We want to help support them and build things that people will just, will just blow people's minds uh, in the future. So appreciate you, you know, both of you guys for coming onto the show and uh, wish you guys a great Super Bowl. And uh, let's have a great 2022. All right. Thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Take care, guys. Fifteen M Media specializes in helping brands, personalities, and influencers build their reach through social media. They provide end-to-end -end podcast production, content creation, and social media distribution. So if you are looking to build your brand's reach and engage with customers via multimedia production, reach out to the team at Fifteen M Media today at info at fifteenmmedia.com. Thanks for tuning in to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show with Wayne Kimmel speaking to Sportico's Scott Sajnik and Evan Novi-Williams. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Looking forward to welcoming you back next week.